episode 22, Early Mornings, introducing Joel Goodman on the BTS Creative Academy podcast with me, your host, Martin Colton. Brilliant. Thank you, Joel. Good morning, Joel. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing really well. Thank you. Really, really enjoying doing this, these podcast sessions. Um, new doors, new opportunities are opening from it. And um, I'm meeting some fantastic people as well. Um, and it's really great to have you here today. Thank you. It's super cool to be here. It's a really beautiful setup for a podcast mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking forward to our chat. Yeah, yeah, so am I. And um, I, I really appreciate you coming here straight away this morning and giving me some really valuable advice. Um, so some of our listeners, watchers will notice that um, this episode sounds better than some of the last. Oh, well, I hope so. <laughs> I hopefully, hope so. <laughs> hopefully, giving me some good understanding of GarageBand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, GarageBand's a brilliant, brilliant program. Um, I, I upgraded eventually to Logic, but you can get so much done in GarageBand. And we were just looking this morning at getting ourselves on separate channels so it's easier in the edit to make sure we're both balanced. Uh, what else did we look at on there? That was the main thing, really, it wasn't it? That was the main it? thing, to make sure that yeah. we're both, both a balanced sound quality. Yeah. Um, you gave, gave me some advice with the iPhone as well. Yeah, I'm a screen addict. I'm on my phone a scary amount of hours a day. And social media is a big part of the creative industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm always using my my iPhone to create new content. So you have to learn to get the best out of the phone. Yeah. That's and I want that quality of this to progress and get better mm. as we go along. Uh, there was an initial starting point where things weren't so great, and it's getting—I feel it's getting better all the time. And yeah, I, I think that's the same with anything creative. When you look back a few years, invariably we cringe and we can barely stand to look back uh, at what we created previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, anyway, with, enough with the technical stuff. <laughs> What's going on in Joel's life at the moment? Joel's life. Um, for those of you that don't know me, which is probably everyone, because I am not at all famous. My <laughs> name is Joel Goodman. I am a musician and a composer. I write musical theatre and I've had the pleasure and privilege of performing in this theatre that we're sitting in today, just uh, July of this year. And I've just returned from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which was luckily uh, a great success. Mm-hmm. And we we had great audiences, we had great reviews. We, we had the Dream Festival this year. It was our third time there. And I'm back, I'm writing and I'm looking forward to do it all over again next year. And again, for those of you that don't know, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is the world's largest theatre festival. It is an incredible festival with over 3,500 theatre shows on a year. How many times have you been there now? So this year was my third year. COVID, of course, interrupted uh, my ambition, which was to kind of consecutively do it for about five times in a row. So uh, I'm preparing for my fourth visit now, which will be next year, and I plan to take three shows with me. What's that like being at Edinburgh Finch? It is a beast of a festival, mm-hmm. an absolute beast. And every year I see it chew people up and spit them out. There will be countless performers and creative people, sadly, who will be crying themselves to sleep each night because they maybe have to cancel their show because no one comes. They might get a terrible review. It's such a hard thing to do to be a part of that festival. But at the same time, if you approach it with the the right mentality and the right goals, realistic goals, it's incredibly rewarding to be a part of. Not only that, it's a great opportunity for anyone creative to potentially leapfrog to the stratosphere. Each year there'll be one or two shows that will go from Edinburgh to 
potentially the West End. So is that is that a reason for doing it then? Is it like the 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 small potential that that one percent chance that you may leap forward? I think is worth the heartache. <laughs> Um, it's not my reason for doing it, although each year I'm I am preparing for Edinburgh with different intentions. My very first festival, I wrote a show called Early Mornings, uh, and and now my production is called Early Mornings Productions. Mm-hmm. My company uh, is called Early Mornings Productions, and that show now, obviously, like we were talking about earlier, I can't listen to that now. It, it, to me, it's it's awful, but it went well. It was a show about putting on a show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And it, it was, uh, after that I got the bug. I thought, wow, this festival is something special. I have to do this again. Um, it, it, it was also exhausting. I remember on my third day, I kind of, I, I sort of, not collapsed, but I kind of slouched to the floor and thought, I'm done. You have to fly your show and you have to mm-hmm. give out all these leaflets to try and get people to come. And I, I was exhausted. So that was my first show. And then um, from there, there was the little gap due to COVID. And then I went back with Alan Turing, a musical biography. And that, as its name suggests, is a musical about Alan Turing. And the most amazing thing happened. And I, my show was a sellout before I even arrived. And after that, it, well, it's now presently as I sit here on a UK tour. And next month, we're in Birmingham and Yorkshire are our next stops. And... In 2024, we've actually got a West End theatre booked for one week, and there's some other exciting things in the pipeline for later in the year with that show. So it really, the first ch- the first fringe I approached from a sense of I just want to do this. I don't care what I write. I'm not doing it for anyone else. I'm just doing it for me. It doesn't matter what any critics think. My goal was not to have an empty show. I wasn't looking to kind of sell out. I wasn't looking to make money. Uh, not many people do make money at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Mm-hmm. And I achieved most of those things. I didn't have an empty show. I had a mixture of reviews. I mean, some people were really quite kind and other people said it was a bag of rubbish. And, it, you know, from there, that my goals were very modest. But then as I went forward with Alan, I, I felt that my writing was better and stronger. And, of course, writing about someone like Alan Turing, my goals as a writer were completely different. You can't approach somebody who lived an incredibly important life with the attitude of oh i don't care or oh, whatever mm-hmm. you want to you want to do justice to an incredible life and and have an angle on it which you know the way he was treated by our british government was really appalling he was a war hero and then condemned for being a homosexual man so and, and you know chemically castrated so terrible things happened to him so i i obviously didn't approach that show with the same mm-hmm. kind of lightheartedness and therefore you know i felt some of my my best writing yet and when it went well at the festival and we got more opportunities as i go forwards i'm starting to sort of look at it as a potential business it's always been a hobby really yeah it's been a hobby Mm -hmm. making theater for me has been a hobby and it i have to although my goals are becoming more professional until theater puts food on the table Mm -hmm. i can only call it a hobby I am a music teacher. So, so at the moment, uh, you, you've got these plays on tours. You're putting things in Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. You wouldn't say there's a there's a. I'm looking from an as an outsider, and I'm saying mm. you've got a fairly successful business model there. But from yeah. your position, you're saying that's not what it is. It's it's not reached that yet. So, th- I think the model is 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 mm-hmm. is sound. I think it is 
and it's really exciting and uh, some people would would could only dream to be in that position that you were in yeah of putting on shows and taking them to different places yeah 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 it is exciting mm. and i'd say that the position i've put myself in is has been hard earned i've really worked hard but you also have to say that there's there's also luck involved uh, with any one success story because the world is a huge place and and some of us are fortunate to be born in a country like the UK mm-hmm. and and there's other countries where people can't even dream people can't really grow up with dreams it's about you know have I got enough water today so yeah i, I find when we, yeah you've got to keep things in perspective um so i I am very lucky and I've worked damn hard as well. It's a mixture of the two. So, but there's something in that doing it as a hobby mm. that helps drive you forward in some ways, would you say? Well, um, what? Sorry, wait, what do you mean exactly? So, so within the, it's, it's not necessarily, the, the money side of it is something yep. that will be nice to add. Mm-hmm. But whilst it hasn't got that, it's like a purely f- for the love, for the passion right. of the things that you're creating. So I'm addicted to writing. I'm absolutely addicted to writing. Producing theatre is actually... I I, kind of call myself a reluctant producer. I produce my shows because I don't like people to tell me no in life. I don't... The standard route, I would say, for a writer is write their show, maybe workshop it with a few friends, and then they'll start to send out their show, whether in the form of a couple of tracks, a script some photos to producers in the hope that a producer will think, yeah, this is a great show. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't like the word no. I don't like admin very much, so I've never actually tried that route. I write a show and I put it on. Uh, so I cut out the I cut out kind of you the professional the mid- the producers. The, mid- the middle man, the, the, yeah. the, the person that says, this isn't right this way, change it, and yeah. tear apart your creative dream. <laughs> I, I think so, yeah. Um, I, I, and... Um, my underst- I mean, I'm still very new to the uh, to the theatre world, although I've been writing a long time. I'm only really in my third year, I'd say, of of producing and theatre, and I would love I would love it to to earn me a living one day. Of course, and, and and you can see at the highest level, the highest level, you can see that some people earn a huge amount from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the success stories of the West End, Les Mis. Uh, Lion King, Hamilton, the big shows that just keep running and every night the theatre's full with thousands of people mm-hmm. paying extortionate prices uh, for, for theatre tickets in London and, and there are some people that are earning a great living from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you feel like at all that you're in part of the dream right now? There's the end goal, but do you feel like any of this is dreamlike at the moment? It's a really great question. Um, I'm... I think I'm terrible at savoring the moment. Mm. I don't think I'm very good at being present or living in the moment. I think I'm always looking ahead. I, when I was in Edinburgh uh, this summer, we, you know, one of the goals was to try and sell a thousand tickets. Um, it's it's actually a necessity to pretty much even break even. So mm-hmm. we're not talking we're not talking like champagne parties or anything at this point. Yes, we're yeah. just talking. Yes, I haven't you, gone. You haven't bankrupt. Lost. <laughs> yeah, I haven't <laughs> gone. And, and we reached that and. Um, well, you know, we were due to sort of celebrate and then unfortunately one of our props broke and, and, and the celebration didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had two shows and, and uh, the one of the shows with the computers, one of our computers 
hard drives blue. Mm. So was we, it? And this was the apple of my eye. That's correct. Mm. Yeah, on one of the hard drives blue, on the day that we'd hit our goal. Yeah. So I, so I saw that on your on your your test. You did that in this theatre, didn't you? Yeah. And you had four. Four, four Apple Macs, Macs yeah. running, yeah. doing separate things, and they were yeah. all very integral to the show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can send you a mm-hmm. pic if you want to drop it in this video. Yes, um, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, one of them just blew up. So on the day that we'd hit our goal, we didn't get to party, and and then I I kind of the next day I was right. Okay, what's next? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was straight on. Right, we need to, to do more. Uh, I I, in- it's it's a very strange thing. I think I enjoy I enjoy the adrenaline uh, but of the moment of putting on a show and at the same time it also gives me stress i think it's a love hate thing actually yeah. it's a mixture of love and hate putting mm-hmm. on theater shows yeah but isn't that uh, have you ever done anything else that's different to theater have you ever done any different types of of work well uh, my my day-to-day job is that of a music teacher mm-hmm. which at this point in my career i'm 13 years in is very easy and very relaxing, and I'm very lucky to have such a, a job. Mm-hmm. I sit beside people who play music, or I play the piano as someone sings to me, and I'm really, really lucky to have a job that, you know, I would, it's not, uh, it's not high adrenaline, high octane stuff. Yep. The theatre, I, ima- I could imagine doing what I do in the theatre world now, which is a little bit of everything, fringe theatre, and uh, fringe theatre is a term sort of that describes everything going on outside of the West End. The smaller theatres, I'd say we're sitting in mm-hmm. fringe theatre. Yes, yeah. You know, between anything between 20 and maybe 150 seats mm-hmm. is kind of what I think of in my head as fringe theatre. In that world, if you're producing theatre, you have to do so many different jobs within a production. And that gives tremendous pressure, stress and adrenaline if I were to survive long-term in the theatre world, there's no way I could do it all. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to distance myself a little bit from my productions in order to have a longer future doing doing this. How do you... What is the plan for that? Well, for Edinburgh next summer, my goal is, when I take three shows there, is to actually not be hands-on with any of them. So someone to operate each of the shows... I'm not in the shows, although I still put my name on a program as a reluctant understudy. <laughs> really? Well, ultimately, yeah, yeah. I if my lead, be, well, if my lead actor mm-hmm. is sick, I can't afford to refund, you know, all the tickets. It, it would just be too painful. So I would definitely go on stage. A hundred percent. I would at this point in my career, I would a hundred percent go on Are stage. Are you an actor as well? Then? No, no, not not <laughs> by not by. I trained. I trained at drama. Uh, Performing arts school was a as a musical theatre performer, mm-hmm. but never worked as a performer. So I would definitely go on stage. I'm not saying I'd do a good job. I probably wouldn't. I'd be under rehearsed, but I'd have a script in the hand, mm-hmm. or I'd have something to. The hand. show will go on. The show would go on. Yeah, because the alternative would be, you know, a loss that might set me back months. Yes, yeah. I've I've experienced a very similar thing. I am an actor, luckily. But I have experienced a thing when I'm directing. I'm prepared to do that as well. Um, and last Christmas, I did a, a show performance in this theatre, of The Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe, which had a massive cast. Um, but it is, it's, um, it's amateur dramatics. And so when that happens, people have got other commitments outside. Um, and of course, COVID reared its ugly face again. 
and so we had a few cast members drop out but yeah i had to rather than the show being cancelled i had to step into five different Brilliant. roles five yeah, five not, oh not one God. but five different roles oh because gosh. the 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 thought of it not happening mm. wasn't worth thinking about it's not feasible is it mm. you've sold all those tickets you've sold all those tickets there's a even with amateur dramatics there is a those funds go towards something mm. those funds count for something because it isn't yeah. fr- isn't free to put the show no, on no 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 yeah. there is a huge cost involved with putting the show on so you start chipping away at that and going okay i've lost one night well yeah. potentially that one night could could yeah. could break the break the potential profit um and and that stop in the performance as well isn't it can break so much <laughs> yeah I, I saw it in edinburgh mm. and in edinburgh so one of my rules for producing is that at the moment I only produce shows that I can afford to put on, which means they only have one or two people in them. And I saw in Edinburgh um, a, a show, well, I met with a producer who had a show on. She was in a 300-seater auditorium, which is massive for mm-hmm. Edinburgh. It, it, it doesn't sound like that much, but for Edinburgh, that is huge because you're competing with 3,500 shows. And... You know, her budget for her production for two weeks was something like Mm £35,000. And one of her shows got cancelled. And I just, I was just thinking, God, the loss. Mm -hmm. And a 300 seats, there's thousands of pounds. I just. I think one of, also, I've come across one of the interesting things over the years is that people outside of theatre sometimes sit back and calculate how much money you've made. Like they'll sit in here, hundred seats, and yeah. they go, "Oh, they're charging fourteen pound a ticket. Yeah. Oh, they're earning, well, you know, they're earning one thousand four hundred just for, yeah. for for a two-hour show." But they haven't worked in the budgeting no, of all no. the costs yeah. that go into a production. The costs that go into a production are huge, and it's very hard. <laughs> it's <laughs> very hard to make profit. Uh, I have made small profits, but nothing. As I say, this doesn't put food on my table. I would love it to, and. I'd say that's one of my goals at the moment to get to a point where I can put on a production that I could say, yeah, that paid my rent this month or that would be a great place to be. Mm-hmm. So what I want to know with you before we go to goals and looking mm. more at the future is I want to know where things started for Joel, where, where, this, where this creative life yeah. started. Well, growing up, my sister was always interested in musical theatre. And I wasn't. And she would sing along in the car and say, shut up, you sound terrible, shut up. I was really horrible. I was a horrible big brother, really horrible, not supportive at all. Mm-hmm. And then but I think that's the way. <laughs> oh, well, I was bit, horrible. No, when I look that. back, I wish I'd been nicer. Mm-hmm. We get on now and I love my sister. Of course. Um, but I wasn't a very nice big brother. We're talking around the age of like 8 to 12 here or something. And then when I went to university at about the age of 19... Having never been interested in the arts, I was sport mad. Mm-hmm. I started playing piano and I was at Loughborough University, which at the time, I don't know if it's still true, had the worst ratio of girls to boys. So they were, they were about kind of 75% guys and 25% women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also thought, well, how am I going to meet some ladies here? <laughs> it's, it's really, you know, and they're all big butch rugby players. There's a lot of handsome men at Loughborough University. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I quite fit into that category. So I thought, well, I'll start dancing. And, and needless to say, I, I went to the dance society. I think I was the, I was, I was the only guy, pretty much. Yes, yeah. Uh, but there, there's, that's as far as that story goes. There, I di- it didn't open any doors no. uh, with the <laughs> ladies there. But what it did do is show me how I, I loved dancing. Mm. 
And at that time, I was quite, was quite unhappy. I had a lot of anxiety. Very anxious young man. And, and I found that when I was dancing, I wasn't anxious. And when I was playing, I started playing the piano, and I wasn't anxious. Uh, and just to give, paint you a picture of how strange and eccentric I was at that time, when I was at Loughborough University in year one, I attended the Royal Marines Reserves. So every weekend, or every other weekend, I was going away, being paid by the government to train as a Royal Marine. Mm-hmm. And within the week, I also had a job at Halfords, and I had a job doing flat pack furniture that I'd set up my own little business. Right. So I was actually quite wealthy at university <laughs> <laughs> by student standards. Yeah, it sounds it, yeah. Uh, I had three jobs on the go. And that paid for some singing lessons and some private dance lessons. And I had such a weird life mm. uh, in that first year. And as I got to the end of year one, I was sitting in my last maths exam. It was maths and sports science, my last exam of the year. And I just looked around this hall of about a thousand people. And I, I just kind of thought, what am I doing here? I hadn't been happy the whole year, very anxious, a lot of anxiety. And I looked around, I was like, what am I doing here? And I just got up and walked out and phoned my mum. I said, mum, I'm dropping out. (laughs) I'm dropping out. A bit like Steve Jobs in the show you you saw. Um, What what was it that that, that made that turning point for you? Well, I think kind of finding, finding one's calling in life and finding what gets you out of bed in the morning or where you want to be. And I just kind of had... I'd I'd enrolled on a course based on what I was good at at that point in my life, which was maths and sport. I didn't I didn't know what I wanted to be at that time. I think I think when I enrolled for the university, my goal was I'll be a Royal Marines physical training officer. I, I don't like war. I don't I don't like guns. I never actually fired a gun because the day I dropped out of the Royal Marines, I was was live firing training, and I actually dropped out that day. So I've never fired a gun, right. um, but I love sport and I like travel. So I kind of thought, oh, it, it sounds so naive. I'm 38. This is the 19 year old me. Of course. Yeah. So please don't. You're judge. allowed to be. Please nine, don't judge me. You're allowed to be. <laughs> I think. I think we don't give ourselves a a break at that time. I yeah. th- I do feel like that point of our life, we should be allowed to make changes and make mistakes. That's the oh, beginning yeah, yeah. of our lives. Yeah. It's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. But it sounds weird for me to even say. I mean, ultimately, to be part of a military means that you've got to be willing to kill a person mm-hmm. and um that could not you be could. further away from the, <laughs> the person i am and it was never a desire you know that it was just my interests were sport how can i combine my interests of sport travel adventure mm-hmm. and and that was my goal at that time but anyway i you know, within that year i found the arts and actually what made me happier and and, and helped switched off these demons i've referred to them a few times now i really did i, I have had or i have anxiety of it's lived with it throughout my entire life but what calmed that storm was piano dance singing and i thought i need to to get control of really anxiety so i said look mum, i'm dropping out and i'm going to go back to college i'm going to do a musical theater course and then I'll get my life back on track. But I just need a couple of years to get a grip here. And I embarked upon that with that exact intention. I could, at that point, I could see myself going back and doing the maths. But once I'd found a way to kind of mm. calm my inner self. And I, I went through the two years flew by as they do too fast. And 
uh, one of the sound bites I remember hearing is, oh, you're a guy. We need guys. You'll go far because you're a guy. Mm-hmm. There aren't as many guys in the musical theatre world as there are ladies. And that is true. You know, if you, because you're in the minority, you, you do have a bit of an advantage uh, within dance world. Women need to be lifted on stage and it's the man's role traditionally to do that. So I was at an advantage. I wasn't particularly talented. I was very hardworking. I'd improved. But because I was a guy, I, I got into uh, the next level up, the degree level of musical theatre. And I embarked on that, which I, I loved my musical theatre course. The BTEC was great. I hated my degree. Uh, the level goes up. It's now professional training. And there's such a difference. What, what, what's the difference? The intensity. So at college, I was dancing for, let's say, two hours a day. It was just the right amount for me. And then as you go up to the degree level, you're looking at five, six hours a day. And I wasn't a natural. I couldn't retain the choreography. And I was training with people who'd been dancing for since childhood. So I hated that. I wanted to drop out desperately. And I also, I'd also kept my piano playing going. And I really loved the piano more than anything. But I... I assumed at that point I couldn't study music because I was only about grade five at the point of applying for university. Mm-hmm. And I spent most of my time at musical theatre training talking to the ballet pianists, and one in particular whose name's Martin as well. Right. And he taught me piano. So yeah, I kept, kept the arts going. Uh, I struggled through that degree. Having dropped out of one, I knew I would never be able to embark on a third. That's just... You know, just that you you wouldn't get a student loan. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Is so I had to persevere, and it and it was pretty horrible, but I got through it. So so what happened after you finished education? So finishing university, I am now 25 at this point, and I'm thinking, God, my friends are talking about pensions, and they've got these lovely high-paying jobs, mm-hmm. and I've just graduated, and now I'm a bartender. I've got a few piano pupils. I'm doing a bit of this, a bit of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm living at home, which is quite normal in the UK in your 20s. I think the average age of moving out is something like high 20s or 30. Uh, yeah, I think it's even higher right now. It's I think so it's, hard. Uh, it's getting into those mid 30s. It's so hard yeah. to move out in the UK. And it's such a shame because, you know, most of us, as we get to that point in adulthood, we want independence. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that. And I, I, you know, I put my dreams on hold. I thought, if I could have had my choice at 25, I'd have liked to have been a dancer on a cruise ship, to have just experienced, to have used my training at least once, mm-hmm. and to experience the excitement of travel and work. But I was thinking, God, I need to get a place. I've got to get out of here. So I took on teacher training, and I trained as a primary school teacher, and that sort of took me through the next couple of years. All the while, I was playing piano, writing, teaching some music, And then finally about, I think at the age of 28, I finally went fully self-employed and became a piano and singing teacher, which then freed up more time for creative endeavours. And what were those creative endeavours? Well, writing, definitely writing, and just developing as a music teacher, you know, to to take that leap from having a job to going self-employed is is quite a transition. I'd say that full transition took a few years Mm -hmm. to be able to, to live off of that income. And yeah, be able to call myself a piano and singing teacher took took me a few years to do, and I've been doing that ever since. And that, and then now alongside that is when I try my other 
experiments, as I call them. Okay. So, so the bit that I'm trying to, uh, the bit of the puzzle that I'm trying to put in now is the the love for writing. Yeah. Where did that Where did that come from? That's really interesting. I, I actually think it was with just within me. So when I started piano lessons at the age of nineteen, I, I don't know. No one told me to, but I immediately was presenting my teacher with stuff I would write every week. Mm-hmm. Every week I would practice what I was supposed to practice and say, oh, I've written this. And he'd play it for me. And uh, yeah, I, it, it just, a bit like at school, we learn to read, write, and perhaps we do listening tests. It was just kind of part of the language. Music is a language. And for me, it was just, it just was what I did. And it still is just what I do. I love to write music. It's... I think it's the way I've found of expressing my feelings the most accurately. So, I, yeah, it, it, it's an addiction. I, I, At times, not so much now, but at times in those early days, if I didn't get my time each day to write and to practice, I would feel so tense. Mm-hmm. I just had to, had to play or, you know, if I, I had a girlfriend at the time, I'm like, look, I've got to play. I can't, I just got to play. <laughs> Did you, have you found them with with partners and other people that they've not always understood that side of you? I, I, I so I, I am, I, I am without doubt incredibly selfish with my time, mm-hmm. and I think anyone who comes into my life, my world, they see that. I try and do great things for people around me, but I need my time. I just have to write. I have to create. And it's time consuming. Mm-hmm. And I, going back to those early days of piano, when I first started, and one of the only reasons I am sitting here talking to you about this is because of the amount of time I put in. In those early days, I'd be at the piano for up to 10 hours a day. And I remember my mum coming up to me saying, Joel, you've got to eat. Mm-hmm. And she'd bring me toast at the piano. I just wouldn't leave the piano. I was playing for hours and hours and hours. Uh, a full-on addiction. And again, referring back to earlier in our conversation, that definitely related to anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'd found something that just shut off the demons and I was immersed in it. And I was on a journey that was exciting. I want to know more about this, this, this feeling that, that, that helps with, with, with helping cope with anxiety. Mm. And you've got this creative side of your life. How, How does that feel then when you're in the creative zone? When I'm in a creative zone, writing, the whole world disappears. Mm-hmm. When I, you know, when I'm, I love it. it I'm sitting in, nowadays in front of a computer screen. Back then uh, it would be just at the piano and I would be writing with a pencil and a piece of paper. But nowadays I'll be sitting in front of my computer and I will have a keyboard in front of myself and I'll probably have, you know, like a, a writing document open so I can write lyrics, I can put music down or even a, not- a notating software um, for, for notating sheet music and I'm thinking of a character someone else's story but I just get so lost in that either fictitious well it is a fictitious world that it, yeah anything else switches off if, uh, nowadays I'm not as anxious anywhere nearly as anxious as I was and it doesn't sort of impact my day to day life that greatly mm-hmm. but, but if and I would th- you say that's thanks to the supporting mechanisms that you've developed I think so. I think so. I think. I mean, music's played a great role in that. I think it's thank, thanks to music and um, and determination and patience and not giving up and, of course, wonderful supportive people around me. Because mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's, it's very 
Any, anything with mental health or any form of health is, is, is a real challenge. We, everyone's got different challenges in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, for, luckily for me, I think music was, was an incredibly helpful thing. Um, yeah. It is, isn't it? It's, um, I've seen people around me that, um, and, and what am I saying? Myself. Yeah. Uh, having, yeah, having something creative definitely gives me a boost and a drive to move forward and to move out of those more negative feelings mm. and into a more positive place. Yeah, I think, I think negative and positive, they're great words. It's, for me, I think music was a great vehicle of taking negative energy and focusing it into something positive. Mm. So, you know, I had, I've always been quite an energetic person. And if that energy is, is self-destructive, it's, it's terrible. But if you can focus it, then you can get so much done. Mm. So that's where I put my, my energy and focus. But also, I, I mean, I have experienced music in a performance sense where I've been incredibly nervous, anxious, and thought, oh, I'm literally going to die right now on the stage. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it, it's, not, it's not sort of a magical, yeah, it's not a magical kind of It's not a magic pill, is it? It's no, not a no. magic, no, it's definitely not. And um, I, I'm thinking right now about times when I've stood behind the curtain, just about to come up out onto the stage. Mm. And that's been some of the worst feelings of my life. Of yeah, like, yeah. oh my God, I do not know what the first words are yeah. when, I, when I walk out. I do not know what I'm going to do. I used to hate first words in songs. Mm. I still do. It's one of my biggest phobias. What's the first word? <laughs> What's the first word? Because you feel like, it's, it's, it's almost like your brain loses it for a moment. Mine does. Because you've got so <laughs> much to so much to contemplate yeah. uh, just before you're about to start. It's like... Where the, where the fuck do I start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do we take? Where do we take this? Where? Um, but then somehow mm. you walk out in front of that audience. Yeah, and it comes to you, doesn't I, it? I think. I think. Yeah, training and training and experience with time enables you to to overcome most situations. And I think. I think that's what hopefully for for some for most of us over time, if we keep doing the things that cause us to be anxious or fearful, we then feel more prepared and then less less tense to to face that yes so have you got any advice for anyone that that does have anxiety um and does has had th similar similar kind of life to yourself and maybe isn't necessarily creative yet yeah but why they should seek that out why they should seek out sorry to, uh, be, to creative. be creative well yeah. i mean it may not be creativity but i would mm -hmm. my advice for anyone is seek all options so whether it's, you know, talking to someone professionally, whether it is something creative, whether it's sport, I, I think try, keep trying things and, and hopefully you will find something that gives you that relief, even if it's just for 10 minutes. If people are really suffering in a bad way, you know, a minute of peace, inner peace is, is, mm. is unimaginable for some people. So I would say keep trying different things different things yeah but luck you know for me it was being creative but yeah of yeah, course oh, it's definitely, not going to be the def same definitely not everyone is a creative person there mm. are, you like you say people that the sports people yeah um yeah find your thing yeah. is essentially the message and then do lots of it mm -hmm. i mean it's I, I guess it's a distraction method and it, it's not the answer but it, it gives you those moments of relief if, if if you're in that situation where you where you need that Mm -hmm. so take me to that that moment then when you decided that you could take this writing and all the skills mm. that you've got 
and you could move forward and do your own productions well you where I, did that come I, from? i love your questions they're so well thought out even if they're spontaneous on the spot they're really great so i can i can vividly remember what took me to edinburgh for the first time i i was playing a composer's music and i thought god i can do this it was good his music was good but i thought well i can do this i'm writing and he'd had his show put on and i thought well i'm i'm gonna do the same and uh, I said, right, I'm going to do Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I had a memory of my teacher doing it. I thought I'm going to do it. He said, oh, don't be silly. You'll lose thousands of pounds. I think 10,000 was what he said. And no one will come. Don't waste your time. And then that next week, I booked the theatre. I booked my accommodation. I hadn't written a show yet. I said, oh, well, I'm doing Edinburgh because I've booked a theatre and I've booked uh, my accommodation. He said, what, but you haven't got a show? I said, no, I'll write one. He said, you're mental. <laughs> I said, well, I'll show you. So, uh, so uh, yeah, then I I decided I would get up early. It was called Early Mornings. And I would get up early and write a song a day for 14 days. And whatever I came up with, I'll take there. And that's pretty much what I did. And that, that was the moment I put my first show on. Um, yeah. So, so you, put, you put your show on. Um, and where was this? This was at Edinburgh Fringe. This Festival. was Ed- so you went yeah. straight to Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't any in between stop. There wasn't any no, no, looking no, no. for a little village town hall to, no. to test things out. It was no. no I'm going to dive straight well, in at, at Edinburgh. That, at that point, at that point, I'd say I didn't really know anything about warm up shows. I didn't mm. know anything about anything. I still don't know a lot about <laughs> a lot of things. I, I and I'm definitely not doing things the traditional way because mm-hmm. I've not grown up with this, and I. I haven't got any mentor. I'd love one, mm-hmm. but I haven't got I haven't got much guidance. I don't know that many people in the industry, so I'm just doing things my way, which I think I think I surprise people sometimes because I think, you know, uh, you seemed a bit surprised then yes. that I didn't I didn't yeah. and it was a big thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I did lose thousands of pounds, but well, what I did do is I found a whole new skill set and a whole new world. Well, what I think you're demonstrating there is that there's not one way of doing things is uh, I, I, I've, I've heard so much over the years from people this is the way we do it yeah. this is how you should do it and it took me a long time to stop listening to those messages I think, I think there are traditional ways of doing it N- now that I've been doing these shows a bit longer I would say the traditional way if in the musical theatre world mm. is to write a show and then workshop it I mean that Still is a funny idea, a funny word to me that I have never used in my world. Mm-hmm. It's like workshopping, what's that? Like, you know, where you kind of take the scenes and the songs you've got and you get some actors together and you maybe get a small audience and then and then you go away and then you do some rewrites mm-hmm. and then maybe you try and put it on again. And, and these, it can take years in this process mm-hmm. to get a show on the stage. So I've never workshopped anything. I just write something, take it to Edinburgh. And I guess in a way that is my workshop which is uh, yeah it's, it's it's very different to how other people mm-hmm. are working are you prepared for what are you what are you prepared for happening from that from just putting yourself straight out there well i mean eventually i'll probably have to if i'm ever really successful then i would have to calm that down because eventually hopefully you build up a reputation mm. and and a good one hopefully and if I were to get to that point where I had quite a decent reputation I 
would then want to guard that? At the moment, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Alan is... My the, Alan, risk, the risk level is very low at the moment. The only thing I can lose mm-hmm. is money. I save up and I... So this is another thing that I do that most producers don't do and is a big no-no of the producing world. <laughs> you're never supposed to use your own money, really. You're not <laughs> supposed to... God for you know you're not supposed to lose your own use or lose your own money yeah. and uh, I was about to say God forbid you lose your own money that's mm-hmm. why I, was, I cut myself off you're so you know traditionally a producer will raise investment so I would say I've got a show about Alan Turing I would approach appropriate people or uh, appropriate societies that maybe have money to support theatrical productions I would raise the money for the show and then put it on. Thus far, I just, again, it's it's probably very unhealthy and very silly, but due to my addiction for writing, I've funded it myself. I save up. um, As a music teacher, I save up my money and think, right, I've got enough now, let's put this show on Mm -hmm. and let's see what happens. And that's my route with with my producing. And it seems to be working for you. It has... It's worked incredibly well with Alan Turing, mm-hmm. a musical biography. That's that production, and it worked very well with the Steve Jobs production. Uh, Steve Jobs did really well at Edinburgh. We got some great reviews, and we won a little award. It could have sold more tickets, but I was focusing on the Alan Turing production. I mm-hmm. took two, and his, this is an interesting point of conversation. I think. I haven't had full belief in my Steve Jobs production because it's a new style of writing. Mm-hmm. It was an experiment. Alan Turing is written in the way that I think is closest to my head and my heart. And the Steve Jobs production was an experiment of new style of writing. And the next show I'm writing now is another experiment even further away from my comfort zone. So when it was doing well, I just couldn't quite understand why. And I wasn't at ease with that. So I didn't advertise it. It sounds ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But I didn't advertise it as strongly as I could have. Well, we've already spoke about risks, haven't we? Mm. So the the risk is all all yours. Mm. So you do have to make some judgments. Even if they're really hard, you do have to make some judgments, don't you, along the way? I mean, the risk to me is quite minimal in the sense of if I save up enough for the show... The worst case scenario with any show I put on is that no one will buy a ticket. I would earn zero pounds and I'll still have to pay for the theatre and my cast. And because I've saved up that money in advance of the production, I kind of write it off in my head. Mm. And and I actually, when I put on a show, I assume, right, I'm going to earn zero. No one's going to buy a ticket. But within the bank, there is X amount of money. And no matter what, I'll be okay because it's not my job at the moment. Mm-hmm. If it were my job, then there would be a lot to lose. A lot a lot would be riding on it. Mm. So which is the one, that the, the shows that you've wrote, the shows that you've put on, which is the one that's closest to your heart? Well, Alan Turing, a musical biography, mm-hmm. because of the musical language in which I wrote, it was written for piano and cello, and my background is piano. Uh, of course, two singers as well, but the accompaniment was piano and cello. And it was very, it, it, I, I gave it a lot of thought. And I, you know, theoretically, I felt it was strong. I, I, it is a strong show mm-hmm. and it's well received. I then took a more electronic 
style of writing, electronic music, and using synthesizers and you know electronic drum beats and things like that for the Steve Jobs production. And for me, it was for me it was less musical, but it was received really well. And there's plenty of people who've seen both who said, oh, "I really, really love the Steve Jobs production. That's the best thing you've written yet." And in my head, I couldn't understand it. And in Edinburgh, for example, one reviewer, I think, uh, saw both shows, the Alan Turing one and the Steve Jobs one, and they gave the Alan Turing production four stars and the Steve Jobs five. And and at that time, I couldn't quite comprehend it. Mm -hmm. My next show is even further away from my writing style, and I'm I'm actually playing around with what are called loops, Mm -hmm. and loops are kind of pre-recorded bits of music that you can drop into your project which in my mind is not writing. It's just kind of dropping a loop into a project. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing around with those and I'm sending out my little rough demos to friends and family and saying, wow, this is, this is the best thing you've done yet. So it's really, it's really interesting. Mm. That is, and, and what I find really interesting as well is, and I want to ask you this, why do you push yourself to go to these new places? Uh, new when you say places sorry uh, new places with your with your creativity with your writing with your style of music well i'm really keen to i'm really keen to kind of write a, sh- a big successful show like a hit that goes to the west end stays on the west end for some time i'm i'm really keen to do that and i think it it's interesting to see alan turing is definitely successful but it, but you you see the demographic it attracts. So what's I find it really interesting when I go to the theatre before the show starts. I look around and think, who's in the theatre? And and you look around. So it's very interesting with Alan Turing. It is, it is attracting an older demographic. Mm-hmm. For a show to be an absolute hit, I think it's got to attract as wide a demographic as possible. And not only that, when people leave, they've got to be saying as they're walking out, wow, that was incredible. And then when they get home and they're on the phone to their friends or family, they've got to be saying, you've got to go and see that. And I don't think I've written a show that, well, I know I haven't yet, but that's my goal. That is very difficult. That is a very high standard to to reach for, Um, if not just within the project you're trying to create, but in attracting the audience. Mm. I've often found that when you're bringing in an audience, they'll often come in for one specific thing, whether it's... uh, a family show so families are coming out to the theater or if it's a show for couples young couples or an old couple mm. but to try and say i'd like everyone well, is, a, is a is a is a is a high, very high standard. i agree i agree i mean i'm talking about from maybe you know the age of eight plus or something mm-hmm. but i mean if you look at the west end smash hits like lion king mm-hmm. i think the lion king can be appreciated by actually going down to about the age of three i think four mm-hmm. or a three-year-old might not have the focus to stay in there four or five up to you know eight yeah. someone in their 80s 90s or 100 yeah, disney have done that very well haven't they on that production yes mm. um if we look at other ones i mean phantom of the opera you know probably from the age of 10 maybe in an eight or nine year old again all the way up to very old it, they are there is those productions that are are open to all ages and where they've got a product that is so addictive to the mm-hmm. theatre or audience that makes them go wow that that, that takes them out of themselves. Mm-hmm. That is my it's my desire to, to 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 write and eventually then to produce something of that level. Mm. 
So tell me more about what's going on at the moment then. So you've just come out of Edinburgh Fringe. You've just finished all of that. Yeah. What's happening now? Right now, I'm writing my new production. I haven't announced it publicly, but I'm happy to talk about it. It's called... I don't actually know what it's going to be called yet, actually. Okay, what's the working uh, title? Well, the working title was either something like Around the World in 72 Days mm-hmm. or Go Nelly Go or something like about the wor- name Nelly Bly. Nelly Bly was a lady in the 1880s who travelled around the world. She was the first woman to travel around the world and she did it in 72 days. And it was off the back of the famous book around the world in 80 days she wanted to beat the record Mm -hmm. and it's a very different show for me to write i am focusing on quite a feminist angle on it i've recently become a father to a little girl and i think you've you've got a daughter as well i have yes so i wanted to write something that one day if she ever hears it that she'd be i don't know really proud of it's inspired by her I, i i want her to grow up thinking she can achieve or do anything mm-hmm. so this is a story with a with a strong female message definitely and it's a reminder of how poorly women were treated in the 1880s which is not a life as a human lifetime ago but it's not that long ago mm-hmm. you know we are only going back 140 years 1880 and you know women couldn't vote they had zero workers rights and divorce was you know not the norm they could they had no rights the expectations of them were to be in the kitchen and i want to tell that story and i want it to have parallels with the modern world we're obviously in a better place than we were what what time is this setting Uh, so 1889 is when she made her journey so really the show is going to be set in 1889 Mm -hmm. and but i wanted to i wanted to kind of have some parallels with some of the things that we still see and you know well we're sitting what's today's date the 11th of is it the 12th of september 12th of september 2023 and Mm -hmm. you know not long ago the women's world cup team in spain won and there's a Mm -hmm. headline about the spanish coach uh, kissing her yes yes. so we've still got these Mm -hmm. you know crazy things going on that that uh, are not not right and um but you know so with going back to the production i you know i want it to, to be really upbeat really accessible to a wide age range and it is it's going to take some inspiration from the musical six i don't know if you've heard of that musical that was a yes. huge success story huge success that story. was a fringe success it story, was a it? yeah in 2018 mm-hmm. it, i think it if did two one, years one of the, the biggest the I, I think it's the big i think it's the biggest yeah. in, in my it's what everyone hopes and dreams for without doubt mm-hmm. it's an international smash hit about the wives of Henry VIII, and it's told in a very modern way. Now, and I, historically, I have not been—I've not been at ease with that. My background's quite traditional, which is why my Alan Turing production is so close to my heart. I've written in a very traditional way. Pop songs are very different to musical theatre songs, but in the world of musical theatre, they—they—I think they're overlapping more and more. The style of writing is, is very different in a modern-day musical compared to. 1950s 60s and i'm trying to capture some of the modern day sound world within my within my next productions Mm -hmm. because i think i think they're more accessible to the audience and not everyone wants to sit down and have to to think about the music they listen to people i think the i think the average audience member wants to sit down and have 
instant enjoyment and understanding of a song. Yes, yeah, there is something in that. I, it, that takes me back to the the first time that I saw a musical, and I wasn't particularly in. I was a teenager. Wasn't mm. particularly into theatre. Well, wasn't into it at all. Mm. Um, and I went to see Les Mis. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And for the first fifteen minutes, I was like, "What the hell is going on? <laughs> like, what the hell is this mess about?" Yeah. I did sit back and was absorbed by it eventually, yeah. but it took me a long time to get into that state of mind. Whereas, yeah. as you say, like pop music yeah. um, and convention and modern day music, it doesn't take much to sit back and get the entertainment, yeah. does it? I think an audience, no, it doesn't. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm looking at audiences when I'm in a show or when audiences are at mine. And, and I, so if I, you know, a lot of music, modern music, you can tap your foot to, you can nod your head. And that's not necessarily how some of my music has been. And and I'm, you know, the, as I experiment more, I'm thinking more, okay, I need to bring that audience in. I need them to feel it. I've always wanted to write from a way where they feel it in their heart. Mm -hmm. But I think people want to feel it in their body as well. I think audiences, they don't consciously come in thinking, oh, I hope I tap my feet to this. Mm. Or I hope I nod my head. But it, I was at a show the other day and I could see some audience kind of, gently nodding or you know moving their head to the beat and i thought well they are feeling that show physically definitely and again you're just you're giving me flashbacks of pieces of theater that i've seen mm. when i saw hamilton a couple yep. of years ago i was engrossed yeah in that music i was i remember at points that i was i was biting my bottom lip yeah and watching them perform on stage and the music and it almost almost being in that environment in that theater felt tribal mm. it felt like something coming from deep within me mm. from when we must have sat around campfires and banged the drums yeah and it, it resonated yeah being in that place and i think that's a really special thing that theater can do for people it can it can and i'm so, i'm so new to the theater world still mm. and i'm learning all the time and when i go to a show sometimes i think oh, i'm going to steal that idea i'm going to borrow that I saw the show the, I saw the other night. It was called The Little Big Things, a beautiful production. It's on in London's newest theatre, the Soho Place, mm -hmm. which is a gorgeous theatre. It's my new favourite theatre. Uh, it is so beautiful. It's in the, the round. Soho Place. Soho Place. Mm -hmm. it's, it's in the round. It's about a 600-seater. It is the most stunning theatre, and I, I encourage you to go there. I think yeah. you go and check it out. Little mm -hmm. Big Things is what's playing there at the moment, and it's one of the one of the standout features of this new theatre is that the the stage itself is I might not describe this technically correctly but it's lit with LEDs underneath mm -hmm. so the stage is a canvas so to speak right it's really quite dramatic and obviously you, you can choose how it moves with the production so explain the stage a bit more so there, there's like it's almost like a screen the stage. yeah yeah, yeah uh, exactly mm -hmm. that the entire stage is a screen. I mean, right. it doesn't have to be used as one. It mm -hmm. can be neutral throughout. Mm -hmm. But it's just an extra layer of of interest that you can put to the audience. Right. Because you've got all this colour at your disposal. Mm -hmm. They used it beautifully. Yes. But I, I saw an idea. I think the, the last song had people clapping. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, yeah, they've brought us in. We're in the show now. We're feeling it. Not everyone claps, but most people did. Mm -hmm. And clapping to the beat, although it can be a bit cheesy, but they did it. They didn't make it cheesy. I didn't feel cheesy to me. Mm -hmm. But I thought, yeah, 
and I and I quickly message and myself. I'll, and I'll have that. I'll, yeah. I'll borrow that idea. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. And, and it's not their idea. No, it's been done no, in plenty no, of but it's a it's a beautiful thing, isn't it, when you go and see stuff that mm. you can take and put your own spin on it and you yeah. can move even just a little thing like the, cl- the clapping at the end. Yeah. And you've gone, right, that will develop my thing and push my thing well, forward. I, and know, then maybe yeah. your thing will push the next thing forward. Yeah. I mean, because when I left that show, they'd... Yeah, they, they they got their audience leaving on a high, which mm-hmm. was great. I definitely felt a high leaving that show. And I'm a really fussy theatre goer. So for me to say these things speaks volumes about their production. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought, yeah, I want my audience of Nelly. They can't, I mean, you can't feel that for every show. Mm-hmm. You know, sir, you know, Alan Turing's life story was tragic. And I that would be wrong for me, to, for people to to want them to leave buzzing and uplifted mm-hmm. same with the titanic you know i mean mm. you it's it's a you know uh, the most recent film in our lifetimes everyone cries because it's so sad but yeah my next production having having worked on something that's got a tragic ending i want an uplifting triumphant i want the audience to leave thinking, yes i can do anything i want you know this is my chance mm-hmm. tell me a bit more about your inspirations then where you get your inspirations from well, as I've mentioned, I love to write. And then you have to think, what am I going to write about? So musical theatre requires a story. I, my first show was biographical. It was just about taking a show to Edinburgh. So that was the story. And then I thought, I'd like to write about a person. And then having had success with that, I then wrote about Steve Jobs, and I'm still sticking to that. I, I My inspiration, actually, in answer to your question, mm-hmm. is inspirational people. So the three people I've written about now, Alan Turing, Steve Jobs, and now Nellie Bly, are all incredibly inspiring people, I think. What makes someone an inspiring person? I think some somebody that... It's not that this is a uh, quite a large feat, but it's mm. something that I, I think someone who's changed the world. But there's many things that make an inspiring person. So if I reflect back to the show I saw the other day, Little Big Things, I'm really plugging them here. They're not sponsoring <laughs> me. Uh, but that's the story about a man named Henry Fraser. And at 17, he was paralyzed. He dived into the sea on a holiday and hit his head on the bottom, and unfortunately, he paralyzed himself. Freak mm. incident. Now, he's inspiring because he, you know, many of us would give up on our lives at that point, and he became an artist using his mouth, mm-hmm. uh, adapted a pen, and, and uh, he's painting. So he's inspiring. I think just as members of society, I think the stories that, that we hear are perhaps we hear about people who've changed the world and and if I were to ask you to name someone inspiring, we're, we're more readily going to answer with someone well-known. Mm. And chances are they've done something that's impacted society. But there are inspiring people at every level. And there are so many incredible stories in life that yeah. could be shared. And and that's exactly what, what this is. Mm. Trying to bring on... This podcast is about trying to bring on mm. normal normal people that might not be world famous yeah but have inspiring stories i hope so yeah and information to spread and wisdom yeah i'd love to inspire someone to do something Mm -hmm. like i really would and i'd love my shows to do that and i'd love aspects of my life story especially of anxiety which one day i would love to 
give back and help with that and to try and help people overcome that aspect of life i would love to do that i mm. think i think to impact someone's life positively is 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 a huge privilege and uh, and and a really wonderfully fulfilling thing to do mm-hmm. having studied these inspiring people is there any advice that you'd give uh, others to become a, an inspiring person <laughs> i th- i think I think, I mean, obsession is something that I think perhaps they have in common. You know, I think I think they were all very obsessed with what they do. Uh, if I were to simplify it, I'd say Alan Turing with maths and computers and Steve Jobs perhaps with marketing and, and technology and Nellie Bly with, I think, tr- well, I, I, think, I think writing actually, writing and, and, and feminism. She wasn't willing to let the barriers of the time stop her. I think they all had something that they became obsessed with and then put everything into it Mm. and i i think if you do that you can't help but inspire some people surely i don't no i think you're on something there i think so Mm. i think yeah i think i mean and i've i mean people i'm trying to think if i look back the people inspired me i think my piano teacher inspired me a lot and gave me a huge amount of knowledge and I, I, the, he's one of the people. But that there's something my beyond life. knowledge, isn't there? Because mm. you could say any teacher will give you knowledge. Yeah, but it gave me more than knowledge. I mean, mm. to jump know. to your piano teacher. Yeah, your piano teacher must have done more than just be a teacher. Oh, he's a friend now, mm-hmm. and, and and actually, he never. It's, it's a strange, it's a strange relationship. He never allowed me to pay for any piano lessons. He, he's a he's a ballet pianist, and that's his job. And I think he approached teaching as a as a as a kind of a friendship uh it it isn't his main it isn't his job he's not although he's easily a professional piano teacher by standard Mm. it's not his job if that makes sense yes his job is as a as a ballet pianist and yeah i think yeah he gave me his time and i value time like we're sharing part of our lives right now you and i and if anyone watches this there's no there's no greater resource in life than the time that we have. And he, he gave me a lot of his time. So that generosity has always stuck with me. Yeah. Mm. On that note, time. Time, uh, yeah, time. We'll, we'll, uh, I think that's a good place to, to wrap this up and to say thank you, John, oh, my for pleasure. joining me today. And thank you for sharing. Um, I would love to come back to this conversation. Yeah sit down with you and again in a few weeks few months time yeah, yeah. Uh, when your production's j- maybe just about to take off when yeah. Nell- Nelly uh, well I'd have, I don't know the exact no, title but, but we the will work Nelly Bly. Nelly Bly I've written about two songs my script writer's written some scenes uh, later this afternoon I'll be working on the third song mm-hmm. um, which is about her dress she wore one dress for 72 days travelling around the world right so that's my that's my job this afternoon. Well, let's co- let's come back to that a yeah. few, few months from now because I know with you that that will go forward. It will, and, and it will. You know, I know there's going to be a thing there in three or four months' time, a new story to tell. July, actually, because right. I'm going to have a a chat with you, Martin, after we cut the recording about okay. dates. We're going to get a date in the diary. All oh, right. Oh, because <laughs> you need to book this theatre. Yes, please. Yeah, of, course, of course. We'll sort that. No problem at all. Well, thanks again, Joe. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank I you really for your time. Do appreciate it. No, thank you for your time. <laughs> That was the BTS Creative Academy podcast, Uncut. I appreciate you joining us for this conversation. If you'd like to drop into more conversations, 
Just search the BTS Creative Academy podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And to make sure you don't miss any future episodes, don't forget to like.